This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, April 30th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanche. In the report this week, how a little Union Health and Safety Committee started the International Workers' Memorial Day, President Joe Biden's plan for more unionized jobs, the Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labour. April 28th is the International Day of Mourning, a day set aside to remember workers who have died on the job. It is also known as the World Day for Safety and Health at Work and other names. The day is especially relevant now because of the thousands of workers who have died because of the pandemic. Most people think that the day was started by the United Nations or some government or an NGO, but the truth is much more interesting. The International Day of Mourning was started by a little health and safety committee of the Canadian Union of Public Employees, CUPE. I talked to Anthony Pezzino about how the day was started. Mr. Pezzino was a health and safety officer at CUPE at the time. This interview first ran in Radio Labour's April 28th broadcast in 2013. It started by me asking Mr. Pezzino how and when the project first began. The day, uh, April 28th, the day of morning, actually first started as a recommendation of our National Health and Safety Committee, uh, made up of uh, rank-and-file members from across Canada. And uh, they recommended the creation of a day to remember workers who were killed or injured on the job in uh, 1984. And then what happened? Well, what happened after that was uh, was great. It's really interesting. The uh, Canadian uh, Labour Congress uh, and uh, some affiliated unions quickly adopted the day uh, across Canada. That was around uh, 1984. And then what followed was uh, 1989. The uh, American Labour Movement uh, observed their very first uh, Workers' Memorial Day back then. The, the Canadian government in 1991 declared that April 28th of each year should be a day of remembrance for workers killed or injured at work. And uh, there is actually federal legislation to that effect. Are there many international organizations which have adopted the day? Many, many international organizations. The day has really grown to the point where uh, many countries, I would say uh, more than 60 countries around the world, observe April 28th. So workers and many communities gather to remember um, workers on, on April 28th. You must be very proud of the work that's been done. Where can people find out more information about the day? There's a, there's a website, uh, hazards.org, who tracks the worldwide uh, attention that April 28th gets. And uh, there's a country-by-country listing of all the activities. I think it's absolutely amazing. And you're right. We should be absolutely proud. In his inaugural speech to the U.S. Congress, President Joe Biden laid out an ambitious plan to create jobs, especially for blue-collar workers, and allow thousands more workers to join a union. He talked about the kind of jobs his plan would create. Now, I know some of you at home are wondering whether these jobs are for you. So many of you, so many of the folks I grew up with, feel left behind, 
forgotten in an economy that's so rapidly changing. It's frightening. I want to speak directly to you, because you think about it. That's what people are most worried about. Can I fit in? Independent experts estimate the American jobs plan will add millions of jobs and trillions of dollars to economic growth in the years to come. It is a it is an eight year program. These are good paying jobs that can't be outsourced. Nearly 90 percent of the infrastructure jobs created in the American jobs plan do not require a college degree. 75% don't require an associate's degree. The American Jobs Plan is a blue-collar blueprint to build America. That's what it is. And it recognizes something I've always said in this chamber and the other. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country, and unions built the middle class. So that's why I'm calling on Congress to pass Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, and send it to my desk so we can support the right to unionize. And by the way, while you're thinking about sending things to my desk, <laughs> let's raise the minimum wage to $15. No one working 40 hours a week, no one working 40 hours a week should live below the poverty line. We need to ensure greater equity and opportunity for women. And while we're doing this, let's get the Paycheck Fairness Act to my desk as well. Equal pay. It's been much too long. The Protect the Right to Organize legislation, known as the PRO Act, which Mr. Biden mentioned in his speech, will help thousands of Americans join a union. I talked to Richard Bensinger about the PRO Act. Mr. Bensinger is a former director of organizing for the AFL-CIO Labor Federation in the United States. I asked him to describe the PRO Act. Well, the PRO Act is a sweeping labor law reform agenda that would, you know, give more power to workers that want to organize unions. What it is, it has a lot of provisions, but some of the most important ones are it would eliminate so-called right-to-work or right-to-work for less laws where where the union has to represent everybody, but not everyone has to be a member. It's just a design to weaken unions. It would impose much stricter penalties when employers do break the law and the right of private action by individuals to sue companies, much more stiff fines for firings and breaking U.S. labor law. It would abolish the right of a company like Amazon to have mandatory, what we call captive audience meetings, where they can force people to come in and listen. And even more effective are all the one-on-one meetings that Amazon does, where they just bend people's arm. They can be friendly. They can be threatening. You know, and all this is legal. The current, you know, their implicit threats are allowed under laws in both Canada and the United States. And so, but under the PRO Act, you wouldn't be allowed to have these meetings. And um, it would really create a more level playing field because there's no other election in society or one sack and order people to come in. If you don't come to the meeting, they can fire you because you're refusing to come to the meeting. Um, the, the other things they would establish things like first contract arbitration. It would 
make it so that independent contractors can bargain in the states. There's been a lot of attempt by the rideshare industry and Instacart and other people lobbying heavily to exclude millions of gig workers. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of a new report from Amnesty International, which details the continuing repression of trade unions in Belarus, Workers' Memorial Day and how it was marked around the world, and of course the anniversary of the Rana Plaza disaster in which over 3,500 workers, the vast majority being young women, were killed or seriously injured when a garment factory in Bangladesh collapsed. We're also covering our upcoming May Day event, a panel discussion of the state of trade unions in countries where labor rights are ignored and unions suppressed, including Turkey, Belarus, Hong Kong, Myanmar, and Iran. Look for details on how to get a free ticket to attend this event on the 2nd of May on our site or our social media feeds. The emerging trend in our news coverage this week is the challenges workers and their unions face as working from home or telecommuting becomes routine and for many workers permanent. From Albania to Zimbabwe, we have seen stories about how employers are moving and moving quickly to take advantage of the pandemic to offload fixed costs onto workers. Cost savings include everything from electricity to office equipment, supplies, and furniture. Unions are having to fight for compensation for all these lost entitlements and transferred costs. Less tangible are the impacts of employer attempts to monitor the performance of employees working in their homes. Unions in most countries are still assessing the impact of these systems on the workers' right to privacy, but some horror stories have started to emerge with software companies advertising their products as having features that effectively deny workers the right to disconnect from their jobs, even in their off hours. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of why Canadian nurses are still having to fight for pay equity, the struggles of the 1.5 million Brazilian domestic workers who have lost their jobs and often their homes as a result of the pandemic, and the targeting of women trade union leaders by the military regime in Myanmar. Our health and safety newswire carried stories detailing the Trans-Africa push to make workplace COVID-19 infections compensable, new construction worksite pandemic rules in Finland, and the role of gender champions in ending workplace sexual harassment in Zimbabwe. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with the unions in Kazakhstan, which are struggling to maintain their independence from the regime. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here are the low-tide drifters with, We just come to work here, we don't come to die. I've been working here for 15 years and I've seen some changes come. Seen some old kids called Californians. I've seen some poets called buns. 
And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radiolabor. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.